Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. It's our pleasure for this uh, particular session to welcome Dr. Mika Radisic, who is an assistant professor at the Institute of Biomaterials and Biomedical Engineering at the University of uh, Toronto. Uh, she's also the uh, responsible for the Laboratory on Functional Tissue Engineering uh, at the University of Toronto as well. Uh, Dr. Radisic, uh, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much. Uh, as I understand uh, your areas of interest, it relates to uh, cardiac tissue engineering. Uh, would you give us just a brief introduction to uh, your, your activities in this area and uh, also perhaps explain to us this uh, term functional tissue engineering? So I'll start with the, the second one first. What does functional tissue engineering mean? Uh, the main idea is that we aim to make tissues in the lab that are functional, and functional means that they have contractile properties comparable to that of uh, native myocardium. And uh, my lab focuses uh, on using cells together with scaffolds, various biomaterials, and bioreactors to engineer these pieces of tissues, so they are basically like a myocardial patch. The ultimate goal, our ultimate goal, is uh, to be able to use these pieces of tissue to repair uh, hearts that were damaged either by myocardial infarction or hearts that uh, have congestive, patients who have congestive heart failure. And another application of these uh, patches would be for repair of congenital malformations. But obviously we are a long way from there, and there are many hurdles to be overcome before we can get to that point. We've uh, had the pleasure in uh, some of the previous podcasts to recognize some uh, other scientists who have uh, uh, been involved in similar and related areas. And just for reference to our listeners, I might suggest that... Uh, you consider Dr. Sachs, Dr. Yoganathan, Dr. Wagner, and Dr. Schoen is uh, uh, having interest in these areas as well. Now, Dr. Radisic, in terms of uh, your particular uh, focus and interest, uh, you've mentioned cells and scaffolds, and mm -hmm. uh, we know that uh, there's lots of places to, uh, to derive cells from and mm -hmm. uh, various kinds of scaffolds. Uh, in your particular case, uh, what uh, is your focus relative to those points? So uh, we use uh, scaffolds that either come from uh, natural or from synthetic biomaterials. And an example of a natural scaffold would be a porous collagen scaffold. Uh, the actual biomaterial, the scaffold we are using, is approved to be used as a hemostat. A nice thing about it is that it supports cell attachment and function very well. And what we have recently started doing is we are able now to functionalize these scaffolds by covalently adding growth factors and peptides that can regulate, uh, tightly regulate cell behavior and their function. In terms of uh, synthetic scaffolds, my lab uses uh, polyglycerol sebacate, and it was a scaffold originally developed uh, 
in the laboratory of Robert Langer, where I was a PhD student. A good feature of that scaffold is that it is elastomeric, which means uh, it can, uh, when you pull it apart, when you try to pull on it, it will snap back. It's like a rubber band. Uh, so that supports contractile function of the heart tissue that we are engineering very well. On the other hand, this scaffold is also biodegradable, so it will biodegrade with time upon implantation. That's why uh, people who synthesized it first, they named it biorubber. And relative to these scaffolds, the, uh, as it relates to cardiac tissue or to recreate cardiac tissue, it's uh, my understanding that uh, cardiac tissue both, while it stretches, it stretches, has different elastic properties in the x-axis than it does in the y-axis. That's y -axis. true, yes. And so uh, I, then I presume one of your objectives is to, again, replicate that uh, mm -hmm. diversity between the x and y axis. Exactly, yes. So uh, my cardiac tissue is uh, anisotropic, which means properties in one direction are different from properties in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And this uh, anisotropy is closely related to the orientation of the cells. So cardiomyocytes are elongated and uh, they're all aligned in parallel. So, for example, propagation of electrical signals is faster along the long axis of the cell compared to the short axis. And uh, we actually, using our bioreactors, like bioreactors with electrical stimulation, we are able to force the cells in engineered tissue to align preferentially in one direction. So when the tissue contracts, the amplitude, the shortening, fractional shortening, will be the largest along the long axis of the cell. Another way that we can regulate this uh, cellular orientation is by using contact guidance or topographical cues. And just uh, we have a paper that was just accepted for publication in Biomaterials where we looked at how contact guidance and electrical field stimulation together regulate orientation of the cells in preferential direction. So we have tools uh, by scaffold design and by bioreactor design, including electrical stimulation, to make tissues that are anisotropic. In fact, I, I noticed in uh, looking at uh, your website that uh, you actually your co-inventor on a patent on electrostimulation of cells. Uh, yes, yeah, that's for the bioreactor uh, with electrical stimulation. We use field stimulation to make these cells be all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Very good. So we've talked in detail about the scaffolds. Uh, where do the cells come from? Do you need cardiac uh, cells to do this, or can, can yes. other cells work? So in our model system, where we use these cells to uh, develop... Uh, to basically test our bioreactors and scaffolds, we use cells that come from neonatal red hearts. So these are animal cells that come uh, from, uh, from newborn rats. And uh, in terms of uh, human cell source, it's, uh, there are big efforts in stem cell biology to find reliable human cell, stem cell source that can give us cardiomyocytes. And uh, I really hope that in the next uh, few years uh, this problem will be solved. The major, the major limitation is that uh, human cardiomyocytes from adults have very limited ability to proliferate. So you cannot take a biopsy and make more cells out of them. 
so you have to find uh, uh, alternative stem cell source and uh, Many sources have been suggested and tested, such as um, cells from embryonic stem cells or, or from mesenchymal stem cells, and hopefully we'll be able in the future to produce them in large quantities. You mentioned earlier that uh, one of your strategies is to, uh, to be able to regulate cell behavior uh, in a relatively lay term uh, terms. Uh, can you just briefly describe how you do that? How do we re regulate cell behavior? Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, 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 going back to the contact guidance and uh, electrical field stimulation, for example, uh, by um, contact guidance basically means that some topographical cues are introduced in the cell microenvironment. Usually these are grooves or microfibers of the scaffold that are aligned in one direction. What happens with the cell, uh, the cells will then tend to follow this preferential direction and align along the grooves or all along the axis. So that's one way we can use physical stimuli to uh, control uh, what the cells look like and uh, how they behave. And another way we can do that by immobilizing or uh, applying growth factors. And we recently showed that if we immobilize a vascular endothelial growth factor on collagen scaffolds, we can make endothelial cells penetrate deeper into the scaffold and uh, proliferate and achieve much higher density than if we just add um, the same growth factor in the culture medium. I, I read in some of your literature that your focus was on developing thick scaffolds. Uh, can you, A, tell us how thick is thick as compared to thin, and uh, again, perhaps the significance of having a, be able, be able to use a thick scaffold? Yes. So uh, it isn't that hard to make a thick scaffold. What is more difficult is to make a thick tissue. And what does that mean is... Uh, Human heart ventricle wall is about on the order of one centimeter thick, so uh, between two and five, when, which means that if we want to repair a defect that is about one centimeter thick, we need to make a tissue that is that thick. So one centimeter is thick for us. And why is that a problem to do in the lab? Is because uh, in uh, all of our tissues, in most of our tissues, heart especially, cells are supplied, the su um, oxygen and nutrients are supplied by the cells through capillaries and through blood flow through capillary network. If we try to culture tissue in the lab and we just take a piece of biomaterial, seed cells on top, and put it in a dish, supply of oxygen and nutrient is quite different. Now it's governed by diffusion. So oxygen is diffusing from the top surface inward. And we should keep in mind that cardiomyocytes are very metabolically active. So the rate of consumption of oxygen by cardiomyocytes in the lab, in the dish, is much faster than the speed by which oxygen is diffusing. So these two processes are basically work opposing to one another. As a result, if we don't do anything special in the lab, the most we can get in thickness of viable high cell density tissue is about 100 micrometers. So that's 0 0.01 centimeters. So it's 100 times less than what we want it to be. 
And that's why we uh, had significant efforts to develop uh, perfusion bioreactors and channeled scaffolds where we could uh, perfuse culture medium through our tissues and mimic supply of oxygen, mimic the supply of oxygen in capillary network. Is the objective to build a, uh, a tissue that replaces the entire thickness of the ventricular wall, or is it only necessary to repair part of that, part of that thickness? So people who, well, if we're talking about congenital malform malformations, then obviously if somebody has a septal defect or something like that, then we would definitely need a thick piece of tissue. Uh, for people who had relatively small infarcts where only a thin piece of uh, myocardium is damaged, uh, they don't suffer as much. So it is actually people who uh, had large infarcts and they have large akinetic regions on their ventricle that would most benefit from having a patch. That's mm -hmm. why we want to make it uh, thick. Mm -hmm. So if it's only a, a, a small piece of uh, the heart that is damaged, probably they don't need uh, this patch. They can probably do well without the surgery. And there is, um, for example, a door procedure for people who have very thick akinetic regions. This scar tissue is uh, excised and it's replaced uh, sometimes it's replaced by biomaterial that is non-contractile. So the idea, uh, the envisioned use of these patches would be in something like door procedure. So let, let's look forward for a moment. The, uh, basically what you're describing to us is some very fascinating uh, basic science uh, that uh, to uh, develop this technology. As you pointed out, there's uh, concurrent investigations by others uh, developing cells, cell sources and, and types of cells. Uh, so someday uh, we hope that, I know you hope and we all hope that uh, uh, these, uh, these technologies will come together. So if, if we were having this discussion five years from now and we were talking about cardiac tissue engineering, uh, what might your vision be in terms of, uh, of the, the maturity of this particular technology? Okay. So uh, I don't think in five years we will be close to using this in humans. What I think will be more reasonable and certainly achievable within five years is that these in vitro pieces of tissue that we generate, I think they'll uh, gain use in uh, drug testing or using them as in vitro model system to study cell injection. So there are basically two principal directions that I, I see this field, uh, this field moving to, trying to make bigger, more functional patches with human cells that will be one day tested, uh, first in large animal models and then in humans. And another direction is actually uh, miniaturizing the tissues and putting them into arrays that can be used for high-throughput screening for uh, discovery of new drugs or uh, for studies of uh, pathological function or physiolo normal physiology in vitro, as well as to aid in, uh, in cell injection procedures and determine which cell types would graft and what are good candidates to test in clinical trials for cell injection. As uh as your website indicates, there's uh, over 800,000 uh, cases of myocardial infarction in the United States alone each year. Yes. And uh, so certainly there's a, uh, a tremendous market for uh, this technology once it matures. The, uh, when, when this is 
mature to the point that it could be used in, in, in human cases, uh, is this likely to be a, a minimally invasive procedure or would it be a sort of typical um, uh, open heart surgery type procedure? Mm -hmm. we are, uh, our goal is to make it as minimally invasive as possible. So uh, implantation of uh, these relatively uh, thick uh, beating cardiac patches may involve uh, open heart surgery, but we're also working on uh, developing injectable biomaterials uh, where cells can be encapsulated into these injectable biomaterials that are delivered through a syringe in a minimally invasive way into the ventricular wall. So, and then they're cross-linked in situ in response to, uh, uh, for example, if we shine light on it, that's one mechanism that can make, make them photocross-linkable. So that would be another way to deliver uh, cells and biomaterials together in a minimally invasive way. It's very interesting. I, I presume this is, uh, at this, this stage, uh, less mature than the cardiac patch, or is that not the case? Uh, it is probably less mature, not just in my lab, but uh, worldwide. Right, understood. <laughs> As, uh, <laughs> than the cardiac patch, yeah. Uh, I noticed that uh, some of your other interests uh, involve uh, special cell separation techniques and uh, uh, the development of uh, various in vitro models for injection and drug testing. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you just give us a brief introduction to uh, what your interest and activities are in those areas? Mm -hmm. So for uh, development of uh, cell separation methods is uh, I'm collaborating with uh, another professor from uh, Northeastern University. His name is uh, Shashi Murthy. And the idea is to develop microfluidic devices uh, that can enable us to fractionate or enrich specific subpopulations of the uh, native uh, myocardium. So native myocardium is very heterogeneous uh, in terms of the cell populations. There are cardiomyocytes, fibroblasts, endothelial cells, uh, smooth muscle cells, and recently also resident cardiac progenitor cells were reported to be present in the heart. So uh, for some of these cells, we know markers. We know what their markers are, but the markers are present inside the cell. And uh, so if we're going to separate them based on markers, that means we have to fix the cell, permeabilize, and then we can label with antibody. And what's the value of the cell if, there are, if it's dead, right? So the idea with the microfluidic project is to be able to develop devices that will enable us to isolate these subpopulations from very small pieces of tissue like human cardiac biopsies. And uh, where this can find particular use is uh, in isolating these uh, resident cardiac uh, stem cell uh, populations. I appreciate this opportunity to uh, have you uh, share with us and with our audience uh, some of these fascinating developments that uh, you've been able to describe here today. Uh, for the, our listeners, uh, we will have a... Uh, link on the Regenerative Medicine Today website uh, to Dr. Radicevic's uh, lab or functional tissue engineering laboratory and uh, we would encourage you to uh, follow those links if you have uh, more interest in these areas. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank our listeners for joining us uh, for this podcast 
uh, remind you that we are not physicians and we cannot uh, diagnose uh, medical problems, uh, but uh, the purpose of this podcast is to share some of these exciting emerging technologies related to regenerative medicine. If you have uh, suggestions for future podcasts, you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And we'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, who sponsors this podcast series. Best wishes until we uh, join you for another podcast. Thank you.